the theme of this podcast, it seems, is reparenting ourselves. Mm -hmm. Your experience being the firstborn of immigrant parents. Mm -hmm. I I think we talked about supporting women, supporting ourselves, Mm -hmm. learning how to say yes to the things that we want to do in life and trying really hard to not feel guilty about saying yes, Mm -hmm. me, me right now. If we fill our cup first, then we can give to others. That's ultimately how it works. Like if we don't love on ourselves, who is guaranteed to love on us? No one. Uh, Even the people who love us unconditionally, like our parents, like they're not going to be around forever. And who's going to be there then? Just you. That's exactly it. And it's what I'm learning to do for myself. Love on myself in all the ways. physical emotional really trust that i know what's best for me yeah and not seek out other people's approval i will seek out advice i love getting advice especially from other women even my parents but at the end of the day what am i doing for myself to make myself better for me am i pursuing my passions my interests am i eating what i want to eat when i want to eat it choosing yourself even when it's very hard and even when it's uncomfortable, I just hope more women, more people in general, just realize that we really only have ourselves to live for. Yes, that's good. It's raining Delicious podcast. So my full name is Jasmine Nicole Lopez, but I only go by Nicole. I've gone by Nicole my whole life or Nikki. It wasn't until I entered private school that they told me I had to go by my first name. I started going by Jasmine and it just felt so not authentic to myself. My name is just a very big part of my identity, to be honest. It's kind of a reclamation. I started going by Nicole again around 2017 after I graduated college. Jasmine is just not my name and... I'm going to go by the name that I feel most comfortable with. I grew up in Southeast LA, Huntington Park and and in Downey. I am so lucky that my parents always supported my education. And there's a huge parallel between my experience and my mother's experience. My mom's not a very open person. I think a lot of immigrant Latina moms like are very reserved. I've gotten to know more of her background story and like how she was as a teenager and growing up. We're very similar in our educational pursuits. She also would take the local bus in Rancho in Mexico all the way into the city. And her mom would wake up at like 5 a.m. to warm up the bath water because they didn't have plumbing or anything. So like yeah. literally put bath water over a fireplace wow. um, so she could shower and get ready and then make her like a torta or something with just beans or sometimes just cheese because they didn't have a lot of food. And so it was kind of ironic. I also was traveling like an hour out from where I lived to pursue. Did you take the bus? I didn't. My parents would drive me. It was like an hour commute. I would wake up at 5 a.m., get ready and hit the road by like 6.30 the latest. Wow. And we did that for the first two years. And then when I got my permit, my mom was like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) Now as someone who drives a lot just on my own, but also as more of an adult, I'm like, wow, like she really spent so many hours in the car. At that time, we were a single income household and my dad was working like crazy hours. He owns his own business. 
Um, That's hard. It's really hard. So. It's a major hustle. Yeah. And so my dad actually had to stop working for a while. He lost his eyesight, diabetes complications. Oh, so wow. That still, must have been so hard. Yeah. It definitely is what I talk about in therapy a lot. I mean, frankly, traumatizing experience. One day he went for an operation. The next few hours he came out and he couldn't see because the operation went poorly. For our family to kind of be like, what are we going to do now? Like, right. my mom had... And him. what he must have gone exactly. through as a man, as yeah. the provider, as a person. No, it, it's very layered. Like you said, like thinking also like what he must have gone through because I, for a big part of my life, I was just like, what am I going through? Like, how did this impact me as a right. young kid? Dealing with my own emotions and in my household, we just never really talked about it. My brother, my sister, and I, we all went to therapy, but I don't remember it at all. I, it's actually really progressive that that was even a thing. It wasn't by choice. It was actually like a, like a very strong recommendation by the doctor. So we only went a few times. I think my parents were, one, uncomfortable with the idea of us going to therapy and worried what people were going to say, right? You know, people were going to think that we're not responsible for our kids or we're not taking care of them. They have to go see a therapist now. According to my mom, it was just hard emotionally for us to go. So she kind of like pulled us out of it. She's like, yeah, we're just going to stop doing it. And then that meant that we kind of shoved all of that down Jeez, for a very long time um, until I, I think until I went to college, that's when I started working through that. Even then, when I told my parents that I was going to therapy at that time, they were still kind of like, well, why? Like, why are you wasting your money? Basically, they just saw it as like a white people thing that white people go to therapy and they do it because they have the money. They don't have family to support them and they don't believe in God and all that stuff. So um, my parents were like, just pray it out, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I would go for a little bit and be like, oh, I'm healed. I'm good. And then stop going. And then I would get bad again. And yes. so, but I think a lot of that came from my parents and my family in general, just being like very anti-therapy for my whole life. That is an amazing story. His life just got turned upside down. Right. Did he get upset? Was there anger? There was anger, but I think my dad shielded us as much as he could from how he was feeling. Oh, um, and there were moments where I would see him get really upset or blow up and understandably he would crash into things or wouldn't know where things were. Or it was really frustrating. He was a very, and it still is, a very independent person. Both of his parents were immigrants from Mexico. He very much so grew up with the traditional machista, masculine identity of provide for your family. Don't cry. Don't complain. You just work, work, work. And that ultimately was what caused him to lose his eyesight and get so sick. He was so focused on keeping the family business running and providing for not just our family, but our extended family, because they all work there too, that he just put his health to the side yeah. didn't prioritize going to the doctor until it was too late. And so, yeah, there was a lot of anger, but I think it was very reserved. Latino man like doesn't cry until he gets drunk, kind of, you know, and even then he like won't allow himself to fully cry. But my dad's also the most optimistic person I know. Well, and great. he definitely turned a very terrible situation into something positive. He's become extremely independent, knows how to work his iPhone. He knows wow. like how to do so many things without his eyesight. Always very inspired and amazed yeah. with that aspect of it. But I do hope that one day he'll be able to talk about that with someone like a therapist. And he and my mother like kept a very like traditional Mexican household. You know, some of it was great. Like I am very close to my culture. I consider myself a paisa. Like, I love mm -hmm. banda. I love Spanish I love music. all that stuff too. By it's the way. so much fun. And so, <laughs> uh, and I mean, growing up, I, I kind of was ashamed of it for a little bit because in schools where either 
the demographic was mostly white mm-hmm. or most of the kids didn't have immigrant parents. They were like, well, I'm listening to Britney Spears and NSYNC. And I was like, I'm listening to Wanda Limon and Wanda yeah. <laughs> And like, yeah. I would get made fun of for that and uh-huh. would be called a paisa as a derogatory term. But now I embrace it. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. that's a, you know, that's yeah. a great word. It was definitely like a culture shock to kind of go into these spaces and be like, y'all don't speak Spanish at home. You don't have the same rules that I have. Very strict rules, especially being the oldest daughter. It's around keeping up appearances, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, my mom would always say like, what are people going to say if I didn't have my hair done or have a nice outfit? And I would definitely rebel, wear my hair all crazy because I was like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And I would dress more like, quote unquote, a tomboy and play sports and stuff like that. My mom did not like it because she wanted me to be a very prim and proper little girl. Mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend, even though I still did. I wasn't allowed to shave my legs. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. I was yeah. Yeah. And what were people going to say that? I was out here like talking to boys and trying to be older and very, very strict household. Again, work in therapy to unlearn that. And I only recently started really reparenting myself, which has been very, very difficult. I did not know how hard it was going to be. I mean, I've been living outside of my parents' house since I was 18 mm-hmm. when I left to college. And even then, like I still could not freely be myself. I remember imposing like their rules onto myself even when I wasn't in their home. I get that. That has been a journey for me for the past decade now. Giving myself permission to make mistakes and do things that are not ladylike or that my mom would not think that they were ladylike. More authentic to myself. But it gets hard. It's like sometimes I do catch myself with that Catholic guilt where I'm like, am I being too promiscuous? Am I being too showy? Or what are people going to think? Like I even tell myself that sometimes. And mm-hmm. it takes a lot out of me to kind of be like, no, who cares? The only person that I care has an opinion about my life is myself. But it's hard, especially when my parents have sacrificed so much. So there was always that kind of like, oh, like I owe it to them to like be yeah. the perfect daughter. A lot of therapy, a lot of crying sessions on my own, Good. a lot of fighting with my parents and disagreeing with them and just kind of standing up for myself and also my inner child, realizing that they did what they could with what they knew. Mm-hmm. I don't hold any anger or resentment for my parents being so strict. I know that they just didn't have the knowledge or the tools to really understand it. And I think now they're more open to it. My sister, when she was in high school, she had really bad anxiety of going to school. There were a lot of school shootings happening. She got on edge all the time. So she would get really bad panic attacks. And I remember one day I was in college at this time. My mom called me and she was like, your sister doesn't want to get out of the car. She doesn't want to go to school. She's crying in the car. She's having a a panic attack she kind of said it with rolling her eyes like oh "Oh, she's having a panic attack yeah but she was like can you talk to her we got to a point where she felt relaxed enough to go into school and we made a plan for her to meet with the school counselor and after that my mom was like oh therapy must be really working for you because you really helped her Mm. the tools that you were that you're getting in therapy like helped you help your little sister and then after that my mom was very open to my sister going to therapy getting support for her fear of going to school a very small glimmer of hope where I was like, oh, my mom kind of respects and understands that therapy is actually working. Even saying it now, it kind of makes me sad to think about that she didn't feel like she could do that because she feels like I don't I don't have the words. I don't have the 
emotional intelligence per se like to to have that conversation with your sister like you do it and i i feel the same way i feel like my mom and i have that same relationship i've always wanted her to be the person who guides me through life right i've sought her approval since i can remember there hasn't been a single moment in my life where i wasn't like I hope I make her proud and I hope she really likes this (laughs) about me or I hope she gives me props. Recently, we went through all the stuff that we had in the garage and I found like old letters that I'd written, stuff from elementary school and some of the stuff that my mom had saved that I had given her. In there, there were so many letters where I was like, mom, I love you so much. You're the best mom ever and I hope you love me too. And like, you can see it in my writing the as a child, the desperation for her affection and yeah. love and approval. One time I was going for a run. I was really into running at the time and it was something that I felt really bothered my mom because like she wanted me to lose weight. But when I did start to do things for my health, I was criticized for doing something that was like not me. I wanted her approval when I was doing the running because I was working so hard at it. And I remember walking in and saying like, I'm going to go for a run. And I said it in this way, like, give me some feedback. Mm -hmm. And she gave me nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think I kind of blew up and said something like, God, like you never support me. And then she said, I'm not like you. I don't have the words like you have the words. They don't just come to me. I can't just say the thing like, and it's intimidating because I know that you can for me to just jump out and say something because what if it's wrong? Right. So I'm scared sometimes to speak. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that about you. That's really vulnerable of her to say that because to admit that is very hard. Props to her on doing that. And also for you telling her, like, I laughed when you said you never support me because I've said that so many times to my mom. I can see like her heart breaking when I say that she feels like she supports me in her own way. Yes. Same. Um, interestingly enough, like you said, you starting to work out, do something that you really love to stay in shape. I'm doing something good. Like, why aren't you giving me a pat on the back or right. a gold star? And, and that's always fascinating to me because my mom is the same way. And recently I told her, I was like, oh, like I want to start going to the gym and working out and just for like my mental health and my physical health she was like oh that's loca like why are you going to be wasting your time doing that blah 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 like bashing it i'm not telling you i'm going to i don't know to war something yeah (laughs) i'm not going to a bodybuilding competition exactly (laughs) i'm like i'm literally just saying like i want to start going to the gym and like go on a treadmill for 30 minutes or something and Mm -hmm. i think it comes from just like not having the words or not understanding of how to convey support. Right. Her default is to criticize me. <laughs> and I think there is like a hint. This is just my theory. Mm-hmm. I think there's a hint of envy. I'm not doing that. So if you're doing it, like does, what does it say about me? Yeah. And it also kind of goes with the keeping up appearances. Oh, for of it sure. All. That has a big part to do with that, especially with like working out and looking a certain way. I know this has to do deal with things that you're going through and with your body image and your health. Those are choices you're making for yourself, but I want to do something different. And it kind of feels like a personal attack on her character. Are you going to shame me for wanting to eat like tortillas? Like, no, I don't care. I'll also eat tortillas. I want to do this for me and I would really like your support. It is so hard for them to say it. I've seen my mom physically 
revolt at the thought of saying I'm sorry to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it's mm-hmm. just, there was like a few months ago, I forget what the argument was about, but she, I don't know, got upset with me about something and I ended up being right about it. She was just like, oh, whatever. Like you always think you're smarter than us. Mom, can you just apologize to me? Can you just say, I'm sorry I said that to you and I'm sorry I accused you of that and I'm wrong. I could see how uncomfortable she was. Like her body was like tense and she was like, because you don't ask your elders to apologize yeah. to you. And also I was just so shocked that I, that even came out of my own mouth 10 years ago five years ago if you would have told me like you asked your mom to apologize to you like did she slap the shit out of me <laughs> because i had never done that even when i thought it was warranted that my mom to like apologize to me it just came over me i was just like you're wrong i'm also working on admitting when i'm wrong and apologizing to people i would really appreciate if you apologize to me and she didn't she just stayed quiet and sat there in her discomfort then went upstairs and just we never talked about it again i did notice there was a a little bit of like her reflecting but also maybe she made you a meal yeah (laughs) she cut up some fruit for me um yeah (laughs) that's her apology no she would do that all the time when i was in high school especially i think in that instance the growth was that she didn't slap the shit out of me yeah (laughs) that she didn't start screaming at me she just stayed in her discomfort stayed quiet and just removed herself from situation i didn't get an apology you know i didn't get this huge like resolution that i wanted but there was growth there because and there of, was respect yeah. respect enough to not invade your personal bound like exactly. your personal space yeah. with like a physical attack yeah, exactly and just you know what maybe she is right but i'm not gonna admit it i'm just mm-hmm. gonna walk away but i'm not gonna fight her on it yeah i ran for congress and i would joke with my friends that if i win my mom's gonna be like well why didn't you run for president yeah <laughs> like, like yeah. why didn't you win the presidency low-key yes. i'm not even joking like i'm planning to run again for for office hopefully i win my seat i think that that's what's gonna happen a few days later she's gonna be like are you gonna run for senator now are you gonna win that and yeah. just like yes i am yeah <laughs> just like, i just have to come to terms with is it good enough for me yes okay great like i'm happy yeah. with my decision it's always kind of still lingering like, are you gonna give me a round of applause i always had that desperation like similar to you my current feeling is that i want my mom to just accept that i am a evolving individual Mm. whenever i would make a choice that was outside of her realm of understanding like she didn't understand the sport or the activity that i was trying to participate in because she didn't teach it to me she she would think like erica's being a follower Mm. You're being a follower. You're doing this because someone else is doing it. And I'm like, yes, but also because I want to. If I wasn't great at it to begin with, it was like, you shouldn't be doing this. But nobody's great at anything when they start out. One of the biggest things for me growing up with my mom, who grew up with a mom that was probably more like your mom, Mm -hmm. actually probably even worse because she was an older generation. Mm -hmm. My mom was still shedding some of that and it trickled into our relationship and it constantly made me feel like I was screwing up. Yeah. If I would take on something new, for instance, I did P90X when I was in my 20s and there was a kickboxing video that I really enjoyed. And one time I was doing it in the living room And she came out and she saw that I was doing it and she started laughing and she was like, you don't even know how to do that kick right. Or she made some comment about like how I didn't look like the person on TV. I think I said something like, well, why don't, why don't you come out here and Mm -hmm. do it? And then she had like this look on her face, like, how dare you? (laughs) But you started it, you know? And it's this idea, I think in her head and in her mother's head that in order to participate in something that you already have to be great at it. for sure. Which is 
unbelievable. There are things that we are naturally good at. But then we've got things that we can branch into and Mm -hmm. grow into because we try and we work at it and we give it our all. Yes. Like running for Congress. Yes. Yes to all of that because that is also how my mom was raised. Older generation in Mexico, in the rancho, rancho, very, very strict. I mean, compared to her, I had it more easy. (laughs) I did have more freedom. And I think as generations go on, you start breaking those generational curses. And I had the freedom, which is ridiculous to say, but it was a freedom to be allowed to go to college outside of Los Angeles, literally across the country. At first, my mom was like, what the heck are you doing? This is not okay. You're a young woman. You're going to be there by yourself. All these terrible things are going to happen to you. But then she kind of came to terms with it. That never would have happened with her own mother. Her mom would have never allowed that to happen. How did you do it? Like, did you just say, I'm going to do financial aid? Because I assume that if she didn't want you to go, she was like, I'm not helping you pay for any of that. (laughs) I did get a lot of financial aid. And that's one of the reasons why I went to that school specifically. Didn't know it at the time, but unconsciously or maybe even consciously applied to schools all outside of California. There was really no choice. I was like, well, if you want me to go to college, I have to go out of California because these are the only schools that accepted me. I was just like, you know what? I need to do this for myself. So she did give me the silent treatment for like a good week. She was not excited and I was all excited about my dorm and like Translation, I'm going to miss you. Yeah, (laughs) literally. And I was just like, okay, like I was just trying to get her like as excited as me and silent treatment, not excited at all. She realized one, that this was an amazing opportunity because it was a good school and she was proud of me in that sense too. She was also like, you're going to grow up. You're going to become more independent and I think that's good for you, even if it's going to hurt me and it's going to be very painful. They did end up helping me pay part of my tuition and then most of it was financial aid and work study. It was a combination of all those things, but I think at the end of the day my parents always valued education so much that they were like we're not going to take that away from you but we are going to torture you for the week that the week before you leave and be really rude to you because we're upset that you didn't ask us for advice like sometimes you just have to like fucking put up with that one week of silence they get over it and then everything is fine i'm so glad you did it that's something i didn't have the I didn't have the courage to do it. I think the one time that I mentioned to my mom that I wanted to go away for college, she's like, that's not happening. And as soon as she said that, I was like, okay. It switched it off in my Mm -hmm. head. Like, that's not happening. And it never occurred to me even that I could do it anyway. Go into debt and who gives a shit? Here I go. (laughs) I never pushed myself through that fear. Why didn't I go? Yeah. Why didn't I go? Yeah. I mean, you didn't know better, right? I didn't know. Yeah. And that's totally fine. And I think... That everyone has their moments where they're like, fuck it. And it can come when you're 18, 40, whatever. It doesn't matter. There's no timeline for that. And honestly, I think I was a lot braver when I was 18 when I told my parents, like, fuck it, I'm going. That's sweet. Now I definitely am more cautious or nervous to do things without knowing if it's going to be successful. Having that fear instilled in you of you're not going to be good at it, don't do it. Yeah. I mean, when you're 18, you're kind of, you think you're invincible sometimes and you're just like, fuck it, like I'm going to go and I'm going to be great and it's going to be awesome. Not going to lie, those four years were very fucking hard and uh, developed a lot of anxiety and depression from being at a predominantly white institution in the Northeast. It was something that took a lot of bravery for me, but also I think... That's awesome. Good for you. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Cheers to that. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I started replaying those doubts in my head that my parents taught me. So in college, I would be like, I'm not going to try something unless I know I'm going to succeed at it. I wouldn't apply for a scholarship or a fellowship or something like that 
unless I knew I was for sure going to get it or get very close. And that was because of my parents' voices in my head of like, well, why are you even going to try if yeah. you're not, if you're not going to get it, if you don't know? And probably from like 19 until I ran for Congress recently, I had always played it safe. I'm going to apply for the job that I'm probably going to get at a safe, comfy job with a good salary. I'm going to have a stable apartment. Like all stability was all I wanted all the time because that's what I was told I needed to have 100% of the time. No problems, like no worries. Just put your head down, do the work, pay your bills. I had like a terrible health scare in 2020 where I had a really rude awakening where I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? I am living my life for my parents. Yeah, I am doing everything out of fear, out of fear of failure, out of fear of not being stable and not having a job, all of that. And I'm so miserable. I almost lost my life because of it, because I was working myself so hard. I still hate everything. I still hate, yeah. you know, frankly, myself, like my job, my apartment, all of it, because I'm not choosing myself. And the universe had to give me a really rude awakening. Girl, it's either now or never. Like, you either choose yourself now or you're never going to do it. And so I decided to run for office, run for Congress. And pretty insane of me because usually when people run for office, they start off very, like, local or very small. Fuck it. I'm going for Congress. Yes. And my... I love that. My friend was like, that's honestly very typical you. You're, like, all in or nothing. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I just don't want to let the fear hold me back anymore. What is the scariest thing I could do? Put myself out there and run for this very difficult position against all these other people from the outside seem more qualified than me but honestly they turned out not to be as i got to know them more i'm just gonna fucking go in like just dive into the cold water amazing i came out a completely different person that's wonderful i didn't win my race it was a very difficult race to win i came out with so much more than i ever imagined and it sounds very cliche because it was like after a near-death experience like i changed my life And no, and I I still have moments where like I am an asshole to myself. I am very hard on myself. Mm -hmm. I still need to work on a lot of reparenting stuff, but it's very different dynamic with my own inner child and myself and how I speak to her and I speak to myself doing something where there was an 80% chance of me failing, which was running for Congress and doing it full force, trusting myself. I'm going to do it no matter if the consultants, the politicos, my mom, says that I'm going to fail, I'm still going to do it. That was the first time in my life since probably, like I said, when I was 18, mm-hmm. going across the country and being like, fuck it, like, I'm still going to go. Yeah. And I, you know, and that was the first time I did that in a while. And even in the beginning, my mom was like, I mean, like, why? She's, she told me, like, I don't think you're mentally strong enough. Oh, um, and ouch. Her own, and, and her own words. And I think I didn't say this to her, but in my head, I thought, no, you are not mentally strong enough. Yeah. This is something you wouldn't do because you're scared and you have fears of failure. Yeah. So you're projecting onto me thinking that I'm scared, but I'm not. I'm not scared. And and then after a while, she kind of realized like, oh, okay, maybe she is like, maybe it was my problem that I was the one projecting onto her. And she got more involved in the campaign and was super supportive and was out there talking with people with voters and stuff and getting out of her own shell for, you know, for me and mission and the goal that we had to to get more people involved in politics. But I remember being like, I'm not scared. And I would tell her and my friends over because even my friends would be like, this is going to be so hard. Like, aren't you scared? Aren't you scared? I'd be like, no, but I think you're scared. Yeah. I think you're scared for me. And that's okay. I mean, it, yeah. means, it means that you love me and you don't want me to get hurt. Right. Um, and you care about me, but I'm not scared. I think you're scared. And, yeah. I, and I think that really 
also taught a lot of people in my life. How am I projecting onto people my own fears Mm -hmm. and holding myself back from doing things? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great point. I was afraid to do this. Mm -hmm. I was so afraid to do the podcast. I was so afraid to quit my job. I was so afraid. I still am so afraid. There's a list of so afraids. Right. That same muscle that you were talking about Mm -hmm. exercising Mm -hmm. where you are kinder to your little self. Yes, I still have days where I'm like, you're the fucking worst person in the world (laughs) and I hate you. Mm -hmm. In fact, I keep like a daily self-care journal and there are days where I say, fuck you, I fucking hate you. Mm -hmm. And days where I go, you got this, bitch. You're the best. You got this, bitch. And so it just depends on the kind of day that I'm having. I think the one thing, the one muscle that I've been exercising ever since I took the plunge and said, I'm doing something creative is it doesn't have to be great. Yeah. I don't have to be great. I just have to be having fun. Mm -hmm. And if I'm having fun, then that's all it's about. That's That's it. I don't care if this fucking podcast goes platinum. Yeah. I don't care. No, I, we do care. Just <laughs> no, we do. We want the. We, we want, want this the, one to be yeah. on the top charts. Yeah. <laughs> we, we do. We become millionaires. Well, this is important for people to hear because so many of us are trapped in that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I know some people in my own circle who I think are trapped in that way of thinking. Yeah, for sure. The most important lesson from your story is that we should be the center of our own universe. Mm-hmm. And we should constantly be nurturing ourselves and helping ourselves grow so that we can get out there and do whatever it is our purpose to do. Otherwise, we're just in the shadows. No, and living our lives for other people, right? And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, our parents don't live forever. And so when they're gone and you're just left with yourself, what Mm -hmm. are you left with? Like, you don't know yourself. Right. You don't know what you're passionate about and you didn't cultivate your interest and you were always living your life for, I mean, my in my experience for my parents, right? And yeah. their approval. When I was very sick in 2020, I was like, if I die right now, laying in the hospital bed, I would have not lived my life for myself at all. Oh, I did all the things that my parents told me to do. And I followed all the rules and I got all the awards and I was a good student. I was a good daughter. But was I good to myself, loyal to myself? Where's the loyalty to what I like to do and my interests and my passions and it seems very dramatic, but that is what I needed. Yeah. I needed to be that close to realizing like, well, my life could end right now and I have not done anything for myself. Yes. That's so powerful. Yeah, Universe, God, whoever's out there, if you help me get through this, if I get out to the other side and I'm healthy again, I am going to do everything I can to not go back to that space where I am desperate, craving all the time, affirmation and support from other people especially from my parents and my friends and my siblings and I am not going to do that anymore I I would love their support I would love them to be on the sidelines cheering me on but if they're not there that's okay and I'm still going to go for it and I'm going to try my best and we'll see what happens that fear of failure is so real I think for a lot of folks for Latinas women of color and I see similarly people especially women of color in my life stuck in that cycle i need to stay home i need to live in california so in case my parents get sick i can go and take care of them and be there for them and i'm like don't you have like four other siblings who could also help with that oh they have their own things that they're worried about i'm like well what about things you're worried about what about your goals and what you want to do why is it always on you to be the one that has to put their career on pause or put their family to the side if they have to go and take care of their parents and figure out what they're going to do with their kids and all that What about you? We don't ask ourselves that question. Well, the guilt is so powerful. 
It yeah. is so powerful. They did a job on they us. They did a number, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's, and the, that's why I carried that guilt even when I was 3,000 miles away or on the other side of the country. And I lived there for the past decade. Started working in D.C. and never really moved back to California for a while. And where is this voice coming from? Oh, it's my mom and dad. I, they're not here, but they're here. I would be out and about drinking, partying it up in D.C., and the guilt that would overcome me when I would realize, like, oh, I'm pretty drunk right now. My mom would fucking, like, lose her shit if she saw me twerking. <laughs> like, you know, Amazing. just having a good time. And I would start shaming myself. Mm-hmm. No, I just stopped drinking. I can't, like, I'm not allowed to have a good time because that's sinful. That's shameful. Everybody's fucked up right now. <laughs> my friends could not give a shit about, yeah. like, the gente that, I, that are here. Like, they don't give a shit about me, like, being fucked up. 3,000 miles away, I could still hear my mom's voice. Be like, Ay, yeah. una señorita no hace eso. Like, don't go out late. Always replaying in the back of my mind. It held me back from enjoying a lot of moments. Even just my youth. Being a 20-something-year-old in a young city, being a young professional, no kids, nothing to worry about, going out and partying and drinking. Until yes. so now I'm just like, mm, you know what? If I get fucked up and I want to shake my ass, yes, I'm going to fucking do it. And mm-hmm. I'm, and the next day, I'm going to be proud about it and talk about it at brunch with my friends, loud and yes. proud. Not slut-shame myself, you know, right. because that's something, like that's another thing. You have to be a virgin. You have to be with one man for the rest of your life. Don't be promiscuous. Don't show off your body. I had to seek out professional help, like an actual like sex coach to work through that. Living in fear of my sexuality and my body and my want to express myself. I can't do this anymore. And yeah. I had like an amazing sex coach that really just taught me embracing my own sexuality, my beauty, all of it, but also doing the mental work, you know, not just the physical work, but like the mental work of letting go of that guilt. And how are you managing that now? Because I know you said Mm -hmm. that you had that experience and then you were like, I got to figure something out. I got to figure out how to love on myself and do what I want to do because up to this point, I haven't done that for myself. Right? Do you think the guilt kind of just went away after that? Do you still deal with it? Oh no, the guilt is still there. Okay. Um, But you just kind of coach yourself through it now. Yeah. Most importantly, I sought out professional help. I sought out people that just understood my experience as a first-generation Latina who grew up in an immigrant household, who grew up very Catholic. The people that I sought out were very intentional because I needed them to understand all these nuances of why I was going through what I was going through. And I had had experiences before with professionals where it was like a white cisgender male. Well, why don't you just tell your parents you don't want to do that? Why don't you just talk back to them? I was like, okay, Billy. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, that is not fly, fly in the Lopez household. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely not. I will not be doing that. Um, and yeah. I will not be coming back for another session. So until I started finding Latinas and women of color who really understood all those nuances, like, okay, Mija, I know that you cannot tell your mom hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go and live with my boyfriend now. Yeah. I'm going to go and be sexually promiscuous and she'll like probably faint, like set some boundaries. Be like, no, mom, I'm not going to be doing that. That's a life decision you made for yourself. I'm making another one. Let's start there and have that conversation slowly and surely. And so that was a big help. Hopefully one day we'll fully be gone. I don't know if that's possible. For now, it's at least smaller and not as powerful. Right. Um, so having those conversations with professionals and even just women 
in my own life who weren't, you know, psychiatrists or, and having those vulnerable conversations like, oh my gosh, yes, like I also went through that and this is how I dealt with it. So that has been very helpful. Going through the uncomfortableness, like I hate being uncomfortable. Same. <laughs> I hate confrontation. I hate hurting people's feelings. I avoid it as much as possible. And I just learned actually from my sex coach, sometimes you just got to be uncomfortable. If you're going to tell someone- You got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Actually though, like it's real. Like it, and we were talking about, you know, telling someone that I wasn't interested in them when they had strong feelings for me because I was like, oh, like I feel so bad. Like I don't want to hurt his feelings and all this stuff. And she was like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to tell him, hey, I don't feel the same way. You know, if you want to be friends with him, you can tell him, let's still stay friends because that's how we started off. And then he's going to be sad for a little bit. He's going to be a little upset. You know, if he is a rational person, he won't get angry. He'll just be like, you know what? I need some space. And that might make you feel uncomfortable. But just sit in it and just be uncomfortable. I lived in my truth. I lived in my honesty. And so many times in my life, I have held back how I actually felt. In the end, I ended up hurting myself Mm -hmm. because I was in a relationship I didn't want to be in or I did something that I didn't want to do or, Man, that's you know, the worst. and I was just like, Oh, I'm so miserable at this event that I didn't want to be at, but I didn't want to say no. And so I just went and um, that person was happy because I was there, but I was so miserable. And, yes. you know, and instead of just being honest with them, be like, Hey, I don't have the bandwidth or the capacity right now to be social. Right. I'm going to pass on this one, which and, is so hard to do. Yeah, practicing that in all facets of my life is something that I learned in, in sex therapy, sex coaching. And I apply it now to everything where yeah. I'm just like, yes. yo, I'm not going to be responsive via text right now. And that's okay. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, if you feel like I'm ignoring you and I'm being passive aggressive, like that's on you, but you just know that I have love for you. And I'm also, I also have love for myself and I need to not be on my phone. I'm going to give myself that space. Amazing. Um, and just like radical honesty, which is so hard when you're like a people pleaser. But it must be so liberating. I'm still on the other side of that. The upbringing that I had really stunted my ability to get to know myself. And I'm still very much trying to figure out who I am, what I like, what relaxes me, mm-hmm. what makes me tick, what turns me on, like mm-hmm. all of these things like... When am I actually hungry? Yeah. That's like one of the questions I've had to answer in my adulthood. When, what is actual hunger? Girl, when I got sick in 2020, it was because I was disordered eating, right? I wasn't eating proper meals. I was in a sense starving myself Mm -hmm. out of stress because I was so stressed out with my job. I was stressed out with the pandemic. I was stressed out with my family. So I was just skipping meals and not even realizing it, honestly. I lost a bunch of weight. I got very unhealthy. Like I said, I got super sick that I had to be hospitalized and I had to seek out a nutritionist to kind of, you know, get my health back up. And she was like, well, when do you eat? Well, kind of when everyone else is eating. Okay. But like, what about when you're hungry? Yeah. And I was like, well, I kind of like just wait like to see like at the time I was dating someone. I was like, well, if my partner's hungry, like we'll make a meal together. And if my family's hungry, like we'll like, you know, I'll wait until they cook something. And how about we work on like whenever you're hungry, you just make a meal and you choose whatever you want to eat. Yes. And I remember for the first few weeks at the time I was living with my partner, I would ask him what I should eat. Oh, I'm kind of hungry. And he's like, oh, that's good. Okay. Like, you know, what do you want to eat? I was like, I don't know. What do you want to eat? Yes. <laughs> and he'd be like, mm, no, like let's work on that. And it was so hard. I still do that. And I would, <laughs> and then, yeah, and I would, it was so hard that I would try to trick him and be like, well, what do you, what would you eat if you were hungry like what, what are you craving right now yeah. and thankfully he'd be like nope you need to decide what you're gonna and it would be so stressful for me i get that and i'd be like oh my god i don't know what i want to eat like what should i eat and then i started slowly getting more comfortable with that but it 
it sounds so ridiculous to not know yeah. what you want to eat when you're hungry or when you're hungry. No, it, it I mean, it sounds ridiculous when you finally figure out yes. that you've been doing it wrong. Yeah. But when you think about it, it's like, no, that makes total yeah. sense I that my body. <laughs> right. And, and the body is designed to let you know it's yeah. time to feed me. Yeah. I think we're used to ignoring those signals. Or bypassing them entirely and being like, no, no, I'm just going to do it at this time or I'm going to do it with this. Yeah. And it's so destructive. It changed my relationship with food in the sense that I saw it mostly as just like a social thing. Mm. I'm eating because we're all eating. We're eating together. We're going out to eat. So it's time to eat. And I I still have a hard time. I've been in therapy for the last 15 years on Mm. and off. But I finally found a therapist who I think actually understands Mm. and wants to help me unpack all of the things that have led me to this place. And learning to say, I'm going to do things for myself has been the most uncomfortable experience of my whole life. Yeah. And reparenting is difficult. Yeah. You're constantly reparenting yourself. Honestly, I don't think it ever stops because we got a number done on us. Like our parents really instill for better or for worse some of these traits and beliefs about ourselves that you really have to cherry pick and be like okay i want this i want the hardworking, humble good to everyone polite to everyone which is something i was raised with i want to keep that that feels good slut shaming guilt thing i don't want that right i'm gonna gonna package that away yes work through it and put it away reparenting and reteaching yourself of like what works for me and what doesn't work for me and giving yourself permission to change your mind being super competitive with people not wanting to be a mentor to people like i was like that's not me that doesn't feel good so now i'm just like fuck it. there's room for all of us at this table and yeah. especially the animosity that's built between women where like we have to be in competition with each other mm-hmm. why yeah we are so powerful in numbers we are so incredible. We are amazing. Women, I love being in a room full of women. Yes. <laughs> it, I, in a room full of women who are for a room full of That's women. Exactly. Like, I love a good brunch setting where we're just talking shit, but we're also giving each other advice. They're giving me advice about skincare, about my job, about mm-hmm. my love life. We're talking giving each shit. other props. Yeah. Like, building each other up. A- you winning is not taken away from me right? and me winning. And I want to celebrate you. And I want you to know that I see you and I'm happy for you because yes. you don't know if that person doesn't have anyone cheering them on. You right. Know? And that support, it should be unconditional. Yeah. One of the hardest things that I've had to break in my own mind is this idea that I should dislike somebody if they're not conforming to the norm. Mm. I have several female influencers on my Instagram too. And sometimes their content makes me uncomfortable because maybe they're so free. And I have to recognize that in myself. Like, am I hating on this content right now? Because they're so much more free than I am. And in that moment, I'm like, celebrate that bitch. Celebrate that bitch. Emojis, fire emojis, clapping emojis. Yes. No, but it's real. And that's it is. And that's something that takes a lot of humility and also self reflection to realize that, like, oh, am I being a hater right now? Mm-hmm. Because I wish I was like that. Like my mom, right? You know, when I was like, girl, mm-hmm. I think you're being a hater because you're scared because you're uncomfortable right now. I catch myself being like, oh, I can't believe she posted that. Or I can't. Why? Why? Why am I feeling like that? And yes. I'm like, oh, it's because I was taught that like if she's succeeding, then something is wrong with me and I'm not being successful because she's killing it at the gym and I'm not. I can't be happy for her. Right. 
she's on her own journey she mm-hmm. she's killing it right now on instagram being an influencer that's amazing let me celebrate that yes if that's my journey in my path i will eventually get there but her being successful now does not mean that i will not be successful in the future that's it and that i have to take away from her light and be like right well, i'm not gonna cheer you on because then that means or that- act like i don't care i love supporting women girls i'm just like you know what yes we're, if we're if you're winning i'm winning because yes you are paving the way even unknowingly Mm -hmm. for my sister who also is the content creator and influencer and as a latina like i that's not my calling but like you're paving the way for her right and like why would i not celebrate you for paving the way for someone that i care about too or even someone that i may not know for your just support your friends and even support strangers like just support support everyone and sometimes it feels uncomfortable to support so much because i'm like am i gonna seem like too much but then i'm like fuck it dude keep going literally support 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 the limit does not exist no for (laughs) for supporting people like that's right i have a high school friend that just started a podcast with her cousin i just started listening to it and i I wanted to listen to a few episodes like i wanted to be very thorough with the praise i was going to give her i haven't spoken to her since we graduated in 2012 and i was like this is amazing like you are putting yourself out there i'm so excited to write that message and like congratulate her and like she's gonna probably call me jasmine be like jasmine from (laughs) from nordium academy i don't care that we haven't spoken in that means so much even if she doesn't say it because every single person that reaches out to me and supports the podcast and tells me that they enjoy listening to it people who said it was one of their top five podcasts last year like that it fuels the passion that makes me want to keep doing it That makes me so happy yeah it really helps it helps because i would be lying if i said that i didn't want someone out there to like this of course no that's real so even if one person or two people say like hey that was really cool or i really enjoyed listening to this like that is music to me tell people that you're proud of them tell people that you love what they're doing because Mm -hmm. you don't know if they're on the verge of giving up even if they're already celebrating themselves yeah is no, another thing because sometimes people are celebrating themselves and that makes people uncomfortable and be like i'm not gonna give them more hype right it's like no like, no give them more yeah <laughs> no literally like and sometimes you hyping yourself up is not enough no and you need someone and else. it's hard to be your own support yeah. system and your own cheerleader yeah i'm gonna bring up this woman that i met at a wedding last year <laughs> this woman shows up to this wedding she's like an older woman she's got like purple and pink hair she's so free she doesn't have a brawn i can already feel that her vibes are Love excellent that energy. yeah we're talking about how women have a hard time accepting compliments mm. and she was like i have trained myself that when somebody pays me a compliment i don't just say thank you i say thank you it's true i and I was like, oh, Whoa. my God, just practice it. And so while we were there that day for the wedding, there mm. were several times where I got a compliment and I'd say, thank you. And I feel like I kind of put my head down and she was like, anything else? And I was like, it's it's true. You like whisper it. <laughs> no, literally. And so for a while, I was pushing it on to like every female that I would come in contact with. I'd be like, when I pay you a compliment, I need you to say thank you. It's true. And this, That's beautiful. this idea is so like foreign and my mom was really uncomfortable with it. Like, how could you be like a braggart? How Did could you, you hear me gasp when you said that? I was like, <gasps> what you, do you, mean? you actually take the compliment and acknowledge that yeah. it's true. It's, it's jarring. It is jarring and it's uncomfortable. It. It's so good. And I found that in the time period where I was consistently doing that, I was like, man. I'm really feeling myself. I'm really feeling like powerful powerful. and on top of the world just by acknowledging my own power and strength. Because you're affirming it. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And you're putting that energy out into the universe. When people say like, oh, do affirmations in front of the mirror and say, I am beautiful. I am smart. I am capable. Like, yes. And the more you say it, the more you start to believe it. I think that's like a mini affirmation right after saying thank you, saying it's true. Yes, I am. I am it's strong. I, I am beautiful. I mm-hmm. am smart. Like I, I am killing it at life. It, yes. it is. It is such a powerful vibration of energy that you're putting into the world. It is like and you can yeah. feel people. Oh, go, I'm sure. Uh, yeah it it makes people feel almost a little sick because yeah. they can't imagine acknowledging their and own if i could do a strength. study i could probably guarantee you it's mostly women of color who are like i don't want to i'm sure men are probably yeah, yeah. it's true they i know even, it they don't even say thank you um <laughs> they're just like yeah and what yeah <laughs> okay um like they just they don't even need the compliment no but, they're fine um, the world loves them it's true for women of color we're like one, we're taught to be humble, right? We're told, don't sing your own praises. Don't talk about your successes. No. Let someone else do it. And then when they do do it, Act make like sure. it's not true. Yeah. Be like, oh, no. Like, it was nothing. Like, yes. even if it was a lot of work. I'm going to start practicing that. But I do know that it's going to be hard for me in the beginning, for yes, sure. I know why we do it. But it's just, like, it's so frustrating. It to is be the most like, frustrating. To be like, we can't accept a compliment. Even yeah. just saying, I'm proud of myself. is yes. so difficult for me personally but mm-hmm. i think for a lot of women in my life to just be like i did that yes. I, well i know that you're not patting yourself on the back so i'm gonna do it for you make you say i'm a badass bitch yeah because you need to hear it from yourself too yes. like, i can tell you every single day but if you don't tell yourself you're never gonna believe it no and you're absolutely right and then also you fall into the trap of like i'm only a badass bitch if someone else tells me i am mm-hmm. and you need to start practicing that on your own when no one is around and just be like mm-hmm. that's who i am i believe it it's true and just leave it at that. No, yes. no excuses. No trying to rationalize it. And be like, oh no, well, yeah. anyone could have done this. No, just not like you did it. Yeah, not like you did it, Queen. Yeah, there's never enough support for other women doing amazing things, and even women just doing everyday things. Mm-hmm. Girl, you got up today. You drank some water. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm gonna clap for you. Like, yes, definitely a tradition in all Latino cultures oh, is sure. that what women bring to the table is we're polite. And we're good looking. And if we are not those things, then like. And we're submissive. Mm-hmm. People pleasers. Yes. We do what we're told. We're pretty girls. Yes. <laughs> and we sit in the corner and we are just seen and not spoken to or and listened to. Unbelievable pressure. I mean, girl, we were told. I mean, I was told. Calladita te ves más bonita. <gasps> right? Oh my God. Literally told. If you're quiet, you're beautiful. I believed that for a very long time. I mean, but it, it did not pan out well for my family because I never shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a Gemini and also just a very curious person. So, mm-hmm. and my mom be like, mija, calladita te ves más bonita. Right now, this is like not, this is an adult conversation, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, what? Like, I just, I'm just asking questions. Like, I'm just curious. I just want to learn. And yeah. it was always like, yeah. And it is so ingrained in us that, that that's how we have to be in order to be respected yeah. seen as attractive seen yes as, you know shrink yourself silence yes. yourself mm-hmm. because that that's not attractive for you to be out there and be seen realizing like no i can have a loud laugh a yes. loud sneeze yes or whatever i can wear something scandalous and have like all of me hang out and still be hot mm-hmm. and respectable 
I don't have to be the prim and proper calladita, mija, all the time. No. At this point in my life, when I worry about judgment, when I spark a joint, when mm. I make a decision that's contrary to the way that I was raised, and I have that thought of what are the people going to think, que va a pensar la gente, I think if they think something negative about me, that says more about them than it oh, does about sure. me. I'm I'm doing the work. Yeah. And if they're still in a place where my life matters more to them than their own, yeah. That's the, their work to do. I was having this uh, moment of reflection a few weeks ago. I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac. So I always like, you know, been very particular about taking care of my health. Going to go get a pap smear oh, was right, right, right. controversial. Yes. My mom never talked to me. I had no idea. It wasn't until this white girl in college told me about pap smears. And I was like, oh, I should probably get one. Just like everyone else should be getting one. I was like, well, I can't ask my mom about that. Because the one time I asked my mom about how does birth control work? Like, what does it do? It was such a terrible conversation. She was screaming and yelling at me, basically calling me a slut. And I was like, girl, I'm not even sleeping with anyone. I haven't yeah. had sex. Like, I just, I'm honestly curious about the science of birth control. Like, yeah. how does it prevent you from getting pregnant? If I couldn't ask my mom about that, I am definitely not asking her about a pap smear and about yes. um, STI testing. I remember making the appointment. At this point, I was back home for the summer from college. I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to make an appointment at Planned Parenthood and I'm going to go. And I made this whole elaborate ass story. I was like, I'm going to go spend the day with my friend. Like, of course, a girl. I'm spending my friend with Becky. Like, just so my mom had no idea. I turned off my phone because I was so paranoid they were going to be tracking me for some reason. They don't do that. But I was just so scared they were going to find out. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I remember, like, being so on edge. I was not even having sex at this point. Even if yeah. I was. But I wasn't. And I was just, like, so ashamed i recently tweeted about me going to get another pap smear recently hey y'all like today i'm gonna go get a pap smear plant parenthood like i'm so thankful that i have access to these services and right now i don't have health insurance so it's free and like dude me talking about getting a pap smear even to a close friend at that point like a few years ago never would have happened right so the fact that i tweeted it out and was like yeah i'm getting a pap smear yeah, i have a vagina yeah and i'm getting it checked out and i'm getting it checked out i'm gonna be naked on a table like yes. you know never thought i would do that but it was things like that you so said like i'm just gonna bring myself authentically and be like yeah i am a person i'm a woman who goes and get pap smears puts her legs on the fucking like whatever they are yeah um and <laughs> spreads it yes and lets a whole ass stranger see my vagina mm -hmm. yep that's me and i do it for my own self and my health mm -hmm. and i'm gonna tweet about it yeah and you should do it too oh my god this has been such a great conversation I love this. this is, this so, is so good i hope you had a good time i hope yeah. this didn't disappoint is there anything that you want to include or touch upon you will be amazed of how reparenting yourself seeps into other parts of your life, like taking care of your dogs or taking care of yourself yes. or being with your friends and supporting them, clapping for them. Because, you know, you might have not had that when you were young. You might have not had people cheering you on, but now you get to do that to yeah. even strangers. Yeah. Um, and I fucking love it. I've learned how to be there for myself. Let me be there for you and support you. Yes. Well, you can add to your list that you are also an amazing podcast guest. I yes. really, really loved having you here today. Your energy is amazing. I love your message. I love what you came here to do. I am all about women like you, women everywhere, success. And I can't wait till you run for Congress again. I think Thank you're you. going to fucking kill it. And even if you don't, it's still badass that you're putting yourself yeah. out there that you already have. And I hope that you have the response that I expect you to have right now to all of the praise that I'm giving you. Thank you. And it's very true. Yes.
Oh, yeah. it is. Yes. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. Of course. Come back anytime. Podcast.